If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'd love for you to open up to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I'd like for you to also put a bookmark in John chapter 1, but we're going to open up with a reading from 1 Corinthians 15 uh, this morning. We'll turn to John in just a little while. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll be reading the first 11 verses to get us started today. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, the, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles, then last of all, or least of all, he was seen by me, as one born out of due time or season." For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed." We're starting a brand new series and study today called We Believe, as you can see, which I think may be a study that you follow away and come back to uh, time and time again. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a resource for you going forward uh, because I think it's going to prove to be foundational, uh, for informative, and educational for all of us. Now, whether you are visiting for the first time or whether you have been here for a long time, uh, you, you've probably maybe wondered before if it's not been very transparent. Uh, I think it has, but just in terms of, hey, what are our... What are the core beliefs? Maybe you've wondered uh, before, uh, what do we, we as a church, what do we believe? What are our core beliefs? What are our core values? What are the non-negotiables that if you were to sum up what we believe and really what informs and directs us and the decisions that we make and the choices that we make and the preferences that we have, uh, what are our core beliefs? What is our, uh, our, our foundation and, and what are our non-negotiables as the things that, that, that will never change or that we are uh, putting at the very top of, of our list. Now, w- with it being early in the year, I think it's a good time to have one of these conversations and we've never really done this in, in our six years uh, together as Risen, so I think it's past time that we, that we do this. Uh, now, a lot of us, a lot of things that we're going to talk about, uh, we've already talked about and it's been peppered throughout all the services and all the studies that we've done together for all these years, uh, but I think this will give us a, a need and organized reference point that uh, may explain some of the past decisions we make and, and may definitely inform our future goals and our direction. Specifically, specifically though, I think this study will appeal to that thing in most of us. Now, maybe you're, you're, this isn't you, but I think most of us are like this. Most of us, uh, we like to know as much about people as we, ca- as we can. Uh, and, and in, when they don't tell us, we try to find out 
about them. Have you ever, you, maybe that's you. Uh, now, now, there are a few words that you could describe people like us, people like me, people like maybe like you. Um, you might say, well, we're just interested. Uh, you know, we're just interested in knowing more about people. Maybe you would say we're curious, which is kind of negative because it, it kind of suspects that we're skeptical or kind of, you know, not really trusting what we see on the surface. You, you might just call us nosy uh, because we just kind of want to stick our nose in, in, in other people's business. Now, don't get me wrong, though. By all means, what a church believes and, and what we believe is everybody's business, uh, or at least it should be accessible to everyone, which is why we're, we're doing this, this series. Uh, but it's not always the case with individuals or families, right? Um, I, I think all of us have been around somebody for any length of time, um, and, and maybe you've racked your brain trying to find out or figure out more about that person, uh, and, and it just they seem so buttoned up, they're so sealed off, they're so walled off that, they just, that you just can't find anything out, and, and they don't want to tell you anything, don't want to kind of really reveal anything to you. Um, and, and that's their prerogative, that's your prerogative, but it drives some of the more interested, nosy uh, people uh, uh, crazy, doesn't it? Um, we live in the age of information, uh, being on blast and, and discoverable through all the avenues, and, and, and even if people don't tell us, we kind of can find a way to, to find out more about them. Uh, you know, maybe you're, you're one of those people that you, you meet a stranger, um, and, and they seem interesting, and, and, you know, they walk away from you, and, and you think, I'm going to be seeing this person more often, so I better kind of do a little bit of research, and, and before they're even a foot away from you, you've already Googled them, or you've already looked them up on social media, you've called in a background check, because you just want to know what you can know, right? You didn't do the last part. I hope you didn't do the last part. That's kind of weird. Um, but uh, you, you probably have uh, looked someone up on, on social media before, and you kind of want to know more about who this person is. Um, and we've all done that. Um, and, and there's this thing in us that just wants to know about people, want to kind of figure out, hey, what, you know, what's underneath the surface there. And, and that may seem normal to you. It may seem sociopathic to you, but I think most of us are somewhere in that spectrum of, of interested or curious or, or just outright nosy. Uh, and, and the good thing is, if you're someone who is interested or, or curious or nosy uh, about others, most of us, most people wear their identity on their sleeves, uh, literally. Uh, most of us, you know, you can look at the shirts that we wear, you can look at the bumper stickers on our cars, uh, you know, you, you can look at the signs in our yards, and, and you don't got to do a lot of digging around to kind of figure out, hey, you know, who are, who are we, and, and what are we into, and what are we like, and what are we like? Uh, you, you can just kind of follow us along, and, and you look on social media, and most of us kind of tell people who we are really unashamedly. Uh, but there are others of us that are a little less public with our likes and, and dislikes. Uh, and, and surely, you know, if you were to come into our homes, uh, you'd see things, decorations and, and objects and, and the television, whatever is on, uh, that would pretty much tell who we are and, and what we're like. And, and when it comes to Christians, when it comes to Christianity, uh, it really shouldn't be that hard to figure out what we're like. It really shouldn't be that hard to figure out what we're all about. It really shouldn't be that hard to figure out what we believe. Because there are several major primary sources that make it crystal clear what we should believe and what we should be like. Yet, and this is the reason we're doing this study, the reason why I think it's important now more than ever to do this study, in today's world, it seems that people are more confused than ever about what Christians believe. 
It, it seems that people are more confused than ever about what Christianity is all about. And I'm not just talking about people on the outside looking in. I'm talking about people who are on the inside that, uh, you know, claim to follow Jesus. We don't always know, hey, what am I supposed to believe? And, and what is our position on that? Or, or, and what do we believe about that? And, and what is our primary core values? A lot of us don't really know. Uh, and again, that's the church's fault for not making it clear. But it, it, it's it, the Bible makes it pretty clear. And, and I'm not saying that to judge. If you're somebody that doesn't know and you have questions and you've wondered, I'm not trying to demean you because you don't know. I'm just saying that, hey, we need, that's all the more reason for us to get in and, and figure it out. Uh, the reason I think we've arrived at this place of, of fogginess, this place of confusion, the reason why I think a lot of Christians don't know what the core values of Christianity are, the reason why I think a lot of people who have heard about Jesus and, hey, they like him, but they don't know a lot of the other stuff, I think that, that, that there's a lot of noise in the world, and there's a lot of overlap between faith and culture. Uh, there's a lot of uh, traditions that kind of become more important over time than the actual you know, truth that we believe in. Uh, there's a lot of downplaying of concrete truth in today's world. Uh, and, and on top of that, there's, there's so many churches and so many denominations that have all moved away from each other that it's hard to really kind of you know, look at us all and, and, and think, well, they don't even look alike. So how do we know what they believes. Now, now, maybe you're someone that you would think, well, you know, if they're all Christians and they're all going to church, surely they believe the same stuff. And, and oh, you poor soul, if, if you really think that. Um, I, I, wish, I wish it was that easy. I, I wish that we um, all uh, agreed more and that we all who bear the name Christian and, and went to churches, I wish that it was that easy. But listen, people way above my prey grade made a decision a long time ago that they were going to get as far away from each other as possible. And it's just made everything messy and foggy and confusing to the point when, where I understand why as a church member, you might be be confused and you might be conflicted about what we believe, what we should believe. And I definitely understand why the outside world looks in and thinks, man, they are, they're eating their own. So, I mean, why would I ever want to get a part of that? Because they can't even agree with each other about what they believe and what they should believe. Now, let me say this. This message isn't some call for interdenominational harmony. As much as I wish that we could, get it, we could all sit down together and figure it out, um, I'm not so naive to think that that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but, but that brings me to my point. What I believe can happen is that we as a church that we as a church can come to an understanding about what Christians should believe. I, again, we can't make everybody agree and we can't get everybody sitting at the same table from all the different corners of the church world, but we can accomplish this, I think, through a couple weeks together. We can determine what we as Christians should believe, what we as a church do believe, so that, and this is why it's important for you and for your families and for you as a church member, we can come to the table and we can determine what we believe, what we should believe, so that you might be able to build on this foundation as a Christian so that you as a part of your family, as a leader in your family, as a participant in your family, so that you might be able to make your family more harmonized around what you should believe as Christians and so that you as a church member might be able to contribute to what we as a group are on mission to do together. So my goal is that we would achieve three things with this study for all of us. And I think these three things are something that as a Christian, you should aspire to understand what you believe. You should get all that stuff figured out. You should want to get all that stuff ironed out so that you, should so that you could have these three things. Clarity, community, and conviction. That you as a Christian 
need to know what you believe and need to know what you should believe so that you can clearly understand the Bible and clearly understand why we do what we do. That unless we have clarity, we're just kind of all stumbling along, you know, making it up as we go. That if we understand what we believe and what we should believe and we're moving toward that center, then we'll always have clarity as to who we are and what we should be doing. We'll also be a stronger community because we won't all be with our arms crossed thinking, well, I think we should do this, or I think we should be about this, or I think this should be our focus, or I think these three things are the most important things that we should focus on so that we all won't be in our corners with these factions who all cross our arms and say, well, I know what's right, or I know what's most important. And again, I know I'm the one with the microphone, but, but I take this role very seriously that as a pastor, it's important that we lay this foundation so that all of us can look in the center and realize, yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing, or I think those are probably the most important things. I think we should put our focus on that. I think if these four or five things are our core beliefs, then yeah, we're on the right track, or maybe we need to make some changes. So don't you see that this is important not only for your individual clarity, but for our community. That as a church, we'll never be a strong community if we all just kind of believe different things and make it up as we go and and refuse to kind of come together and, and, and figure out what we should be believing together. And that leads me to number three, that we should have the same convictions. That if you know what you believe and you have a confidence that it's true and you're clearly focused on it and as a community we're we're bound by it, then we are strong in our convictions as in we are focused on doing and accomplishing what God has called us to do. That if your beliefs aren't centered and that you don't have clarity and you don't understand the value of community as a church member, then your convictions are, 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 are hardly there. And the things that we do outside, the things that we do in our personal lives, the things that we do in our family lives and the things that we do at the church, there's no moral compass leading us to do or not do things that we're called to do. Now, again, we can have a firm grasp on what we believe, that we can be united together around what we believe, and that we might have a firm, uh, be firm in our convictions and allow our beliefs to direct our behavior, our decisions, and the actions that we take in life. Now, unlike, unlike trying to find out the details about that person that takes your orders at your favorite restaurant, because they might be a little bit mysterious, uh, you don't have to go digging very, very deeply to, to understand what the basics of Christianity are. You don't have to go Googling and go digging in a bunch of books to figure it out because it's pretty clearly revealed to us in a single place. That you don't have to go looking in obscure corners to understand what the church and Christianity should be all about. Contrary to how complicated and confusing it may look from the outside, it hasn't always been that way. Uh, it, it hasn't always been this divided. There hasn't always been such duplicity across what churches believe. There hasn't always been such animosity over what we believe, what we don't believe, what we affirm, what we oppose. In the beginning, not Genesis beginning, but in the early days of the church, uh, th- there was this sense of, hey, we got to very quickly iron out what we believe so that we have this foundation. And they very quickly did that. And they had a strong sense of clarity and community and they lived out their convictions because they knew what they believed and they didn't really budge on it. We observe this from the very onset. When the church begins its public ministry, the Bible tells us in Acts 2, verse 42, that they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching as in they had a very core set of beliefs already predetermined. And they made sure that they put that at the foundation of who they were. 
And that gave them clarity. That gave them a sense of community. And that made their convictions unwavering. Now, in the early years, I mean, for the first few hundred years, the church would come together at various meetings and conferences where they would confess their faith with one voice. If you grew up in a church more liturgical than, than, than ours, uh, you probably heard of things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. The word creed is Latin for beliefs. And in the early days, the church actually uh, came together and drafted these creeds or these beliefs, statements of faith that, that summarize, hey, these are our main beliefs. These are what derive us. These are how we read the scriptures. These are what brings us together as a community. These are what determine our convictions. And in the, in the first 300 years or so, the church was strong in this place of, of unity around the beliefs that they had. And it, and it wasn't forced. Nobody, said, nobody at the top said, hey, you're going to do this. It was kind of organic. 99.9% of Christians in the early days all agreed on these same core truths. No one forced the agreement. In the years that followed, though, and for a lot of reasons that we don't have time to get into, the church began arguing and drifting away from once, uh, once center and shared axis. And ever since, it's just been so unfortunate, the results. And, and while most of us agree on a few things, none of us seem to agree on the same core, key, foundational truths. And, and I know it may sound naive for me to say that it wouldn't be that hard to get us all back to this place of clarity and give us a sense of community and, and give us the same convictions. I honestly don't think it would be that hard if we just all looked at the same place. As a church, as Christians, it, we should, and, and if we would, if we would just aspire if we would aspire to be pure and true to the source material, the foundation and the beginning of our movement, we'd figure this out pretty easily and pretty quickly. Now, certainly there are some folks who are fine saying that their version looks vastly different than the iterations that came before because, hey, that's progress. Uh, but, but for Christians, for the church, it really makes no sense to take that stance. And all we can really do is prioritize where we stand and what we believe. And the best and most efficient way to establish all of this is to go back to the beginning. And, and let me say this, because I know that I know my saying that may make you assume that, that that's just coming from an overflow of me being a traditionalist or me being a conservative in, in areas of life. I, I want to make this clear. I, I have no problem with the world changing and progress uh, and, 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 you know, adopting new ways to do things. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the church, it's different. And, and hear me clear. I'm not talking about what the church looks like. The style and presentation has always been in flux because it's always been about how we communicate to the generation we're put in. I'm talking about finding our inspiration from the beginning as to what we believe and allowing those beliefs to influence what we do. And here's why all the answers are found in the same source material. If you want to know, hey, why do we always have to turn to the same place to find all the answers? It's because this. Christianity was started by a person. It wasn't started by a group of people. It wasn't started by a collective of people who met over a series of decades. It was started by a, a single person. The church was founded by a, a person, and he wasn't an ordinary person. He was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He laid a foundation and the groundwork for us to build on, making it so very simple to stay on track. And the closer we stay to his original vision, entirely shaped by him, the less confused any of us will be. 
because we won't be making it up as we go. We won't be revising and revisiting our beliefs as we go. We'll have it all figured out. And, and an outsider may question, why would you stake everything on something that somebody said 2,000 years ago? Shouldn't we adjust things with time? To that, our response really is quite simple. And hear this very clearly. The whole reason we gather as a church, the reason we desire to be Christians, the reason we need to be Christians, it's a matter of eternal significance. It's a matter of our eternity. So the reason why we turn to Jesus in the first place is because we are aware that we need something that we cannot find in and of ourselves and that he alone brought something into this world 2,000 years ago and something that he did 2,000 years ago changed everything. So we must look back to what happened when he came and what he did. When the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, was writing to the church at Corinth, they were divided on a number of issues. Uh, he was trying to get them to remember why they were even gathering together in the first place, why they were at church to begin with. He reminds them of the eternal significance of the subject matter. And, and let me just say this, it's wild that he was addressing this. They weren't even 20 years removed from Jesus being on earth, and they were already confused. So don't feel too bad if you're confused. These people were alive when Jesus was on earth and they got confused within 20 years of him going to heaven. So by all means, there's no wonder why we're confused, even if we shouldn't be. So I want you to look down at chapter 15. The first two verses, listen to how Paul is rallying the church together. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you when I was with you which you also received and in which you stand. So notice, he reminds them of their foundation. It is this gospel. It is this good news. And we'll talk about that. And then he says in verse two, by which also you are saved, that you are holding fast to. So he anchors the entire reason. He says, guys, I know you have your beliefs and your convictions and the reasons why you believe what you believe, but I want to remind you, hey, why are you here? Why are you here in the first place? And maybe you're wondering, hey, why am I here? Let me tell you why you are or should be here. Paul reminds them of two things, the gospel and there are our salvation. The church in Christianity has brought us good news that has saved us. So hey, he says, hey guys, let's remember, why are we here? I know you've got your culture war to fight. I know you've got your different traditions you want to stand up for. I know you've got your own personal beliefs, but let's all remember, hey, why are we here in the first place? Because we heard good news and we were saved by that good news. Can we all breathe a little bit and agree? I know we're all wanting to disagree about other stuff, but he says, hey, can we just agree that we're here because the gospel and salvation? As in without it, we'd be facing bad news. And we would be in danger of suffering some kind of loss eternally. So as Paul's trying to get them to think clearly, to come together in unity, to remember their core convictions, he reminds them of how they arrived at this place to begin with. Why they were even the church at Corinth to begin with. Good news was shared with them. And the result of hearing that good news and believing that good news was their salvation. So if you will, metaphorically, or if you want to physically lean in, that's fine. It helps you to, to, to think about it. I want you to lean in to this for just a minute. Let us not forget what Christianity means to us. 
Listen, I know everybody has their own personal beliefs and convictions and agendas, but can we just remember what Christianity means to you and me? It is the exclusive source of the ultimate good news, and it means that we can be saved. That's what it means, right? I know we've got other things that we think, hey, you know, this is important or that's important, and you should preach on that or you should emphasize this, but can we just remember why we're here? Because Jesus exclusively gives us good news and saves us on a spiritual, eternal level. Now, I want you to put a bookmark here in Corinthians, and we'll come back to it. Flip back to John chapter 1 with me real quick, and I want to I talk about Jesus when he first came. John 1 is really the best place to turn to if you want to read the origin story of Christianity because John does a really good job at setting the stage for Jesus and talking about the backstory in, in a pretty brief and, and quick way. John tells us about a world that had long been plunged in darkness. A world that everybody was aware of how broken things were, how broken they were, how dark it could get, and how dark it was. Uh, John tells us the world had long been trying to break out of that darkness and free from that darkness. If you study the history of the world, you find that religion is almost as old as the earliest stories of mankind. Because mankind realized early on that something was not right within them, within us. Without being told by anybody, men and women realized they weren't happy with who they were, that they couldn't keep their own rules, much less anyone else's rules. And as a result, the, if you go back to the oldest civilizations, you'll find the oldest, early, earliest organized religions were appointed, self-appointed holy men would try to explain away the guilt and the shame that we all struggle with and the conflict between us. People looked at the heavens and they believed there was a creator out there. There was a God or there were many gods. And and, and they were trying to, through a convoluted process, uh, pacify the gods and make peace with the gods. And really it was trying to make peace with themselves. But they were just trying to visualize it through this religious process. And John writes that the one and only God, the one true God, observed all of us down here trying to get over our guilt and our shame and our struggles and he decided to get involved and to help us himself and this is how John explains before we ever existed there was this standard this high and holy truth and he calls it the word the best way he can describe it is it is the word of God it is the standard over the universe He says the word always has existed. He calls it God's word. And he says the word was and the word is God. And the Jews received exclusive revelation from God. And the Jews received God's word, which made them realize they were so lost and so condemned. And John tells us that God's word, his heart, his soul is his standard and clearly we all fall short of it. Clearly we all, we all fall short of him. But if you jump into John 1.14, John tells us that God's response to our falling short was not to judge or condemn or say good riddance, but the exact opposite. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, as in the God became flesh and he came to us as if he was the son of God. He was fully God, full of grace, full of truth, but we saw him and we heard him and we knew him as God's begotten son. 
John bore witness of him. He's talking about John the Baptist. And cried out saying, This is who of, I, of whom I said, He comes after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, as in we've, this is fully God. Jesus isn't part of God. He's fully God. And of his fullness, we've received grace for grace, as in he came to save us. Jesus is God's grace and what he did communicated and translated God's grace for the law. And he says, hey, the law was given by Moses and the law condemned us. It was God's word. It condemned us. But grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. Not to undo what was said of old, but to show us that there is a way to be saved in spite of what was said about us. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom or who is in the heart of the Father has declared him, has made him known. So, so John says this. The word as they received it in the Old Testament condemned them, pointed out their shortcomings. But in this new work, God became flesh and God was going to make a way for us to be reconciled back to him. So this is the basis for Christianity. Christianity 101. Before Jesus came, it was all bad news. We were all condemned and disabled in our sin. But thankfully, that's the, that was what was true. But here's what now is true. But because Jesus has come, or now that Jesus has come, grace has come with him and salvation is possible. Redemption, restoration, reconciliation is possible. So you might wonder, how can we be saved from guilt and sin and shame? John goes on to tell us exactly how as he begins the actual narrative of his story. He introduces us to a prophet who was meant to bridge the gap from the old to new, from religion to Christianity. Instead of pointing at people like the old prophets did and say, you're doomed, this prophet didn't point the finger at us to condemn us, but this prophet pointed us to our Savior. So John the Baptist is in the Jordan River doing this ritual of preparation for the Savior who is being sent by God, who is God in flesh. And in verse 29, when Jesus comes on the scene, listen to how John the Baptist and how John the writer introduces Jesus to the world. And this is how, if you've never heard of Jesus or if you've never been introduced to Jesus or if you were introduced to Jesus and it wasn't like this, this is how you should know him. John introduces us to Jesus with this statement. Behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So your first impression of Jesus should be this. You may have an impression of God that he condemns you, that he's against you because you broke his law. And yes, you have. Yes, we have. But your first impression of Jesus, your first impression of God in flesh, the way that God wants you to know him now and forever is look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. So what did Jesus come to do? What was his basic agenda? To take away our sin and save us. Yeah, we've got some problems, but why did Jesus come? What was his agenda? To take away the obstacle between us and God, to remove it and to save us once and for all. That is the core belief of Christians I know you got a lot of other stuff that you think, hey, might be important, and we'll get to that. 
But our foundation, our starting point is that Jesus Christ came to save us. Now flip back over to Corinthians and we'll continue breaking down that passage. So Paul writes to Corinth and he's stirring up their memories and he says, hey, remember the gospel, remember your salvation. This is what we're talking about. And, and then he says in verse three, he says, hey, remember, remember what I started with? Remember the very first sermon I ever preached to you and what I introduced, how I introduced you to God and what I wanted you to always go back to as your origin story, as your starting point? And they're thinking, yeah, we, we remember that sermon. And Paul reminds them, for I delivered to you first of all, or most importantly, or my primary message to you was what I received. So he says, hey, I preached to you what I was first preached about. So there's no way we can miss, there's no way to misinterpret this, is there? He says, hey, I gave you the main and most important thing because it was told to me this is the most important thing. This is how John introduced us to Jesus. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures as in all of the Bible points to this. The entire Old Testament, you want to summarize the Old Testament in one sentence? It told us about our sin and how we needed a savior and guess what? We have one. We have one. Christ died for our sins. So uh, let's unpack this. Jesus came, God in flesh, full of grace and truth. He didn't apologize for what the Old Testament said. He didn't backpedal what was true and what was false. It's God's word after all. He's God made flesh. He came to confirm that yes, we are sinners, but he also came to provide salvation for sinners by giving his very life for our every sin. Don't miss the last part. Jesus gave his life for every sin. The sin you commit when no one's looking, the sin that you think, I cannot believe they would commit that sin. Jesus gave his life for that sin. Talk about loving somebody. Think about how angry we get when we talk about certain sins. You know, how, I know how angry we get. You know, how, you know what God's response to that sin was? You know what Jesus' response to that sin was? I'll take it. All me. Because that's how much I love that person. That's how much God loved the world, right? They took the sin of the world. Do you hear that? Paul is asking, why have we moved past this so quickly? Why have we made so many other things so important? How can we be so divided, so argumentative about what we believe and who's right and who's wrong? The very heart of our faith is we are all sinners and Jesus came to die for all of us. Let's read on. We read on, but continue to read verses four where he says that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day. And then Paul goes on to, to, to talk about how Jesus appeared to different people. The disciples, Peter, who is Cephas, the, the apostles, the 500 that were followers of his. And, and then he says he went to James. James, who, was, who, who thought Jesus was crazy, tried to get him killed and helped corroborate with the Jewish authorities to get him killed. He appeared to him because he loved him. He was his brother. And he said, hey, brother, I know you, you, you blasphemed my name and you said I was crazy and you, you helped me get killed. But hey, I still love you. And I want you to be part of my church. He appeared to James. He appeared to the apostles. And in Paul says, last of all, as one who should have never been given this chance, he appeared to me. And look at verse 10. 
by the grace of God, I am who I am. And yeah, I've done a whole lot of work, but I've done this by the grace of God which was with me. Paul says, you remember who I was? Remember who I was, verse 9? I persecuted the church. I mean, if you can't get much worse than that, can you? I did it with a smile on my face. I thought I was doing God a service. And he appeared to me and said, hey, Paul, we could really use somebody like you on our side. <laughs> he saved him and changed his life. Paul wants the Corinth to know. He wants us to know. Our very foundation is the saving grace of the one and only God who we have all totally disgraced. Can, can, we, can, we, can we stay there a little bit? The saving grace of every one of us is the God that we disgraced sent Jesus to save us. So we're going to wrap up. He welcomes everybody into a huddle. Paul says, gentlemen, ladies, can, can, can we have a huddle real quick before we leave? Here's why I'm writing this. And I'm talk, when I say you, I'm talking to Corinth, but this might be you too. So if it applies, go ahead. Paul says, let me tell y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all are acting all self-righteous, proving yourself to God. Do you not know that we all come here to receive God's righteousness? Do you not know the reason why you show up at church is not to say, hey, look at me. It's to come and receive from God what you could not get for yourself and by yourself. Is that why we're here, y'all? Are we here because, hey, look at what I did this week. Aren't you impressed? Paul says, no, we're not here because we're proving ourselves to God. We're here because God has given us a gift. Remember why we're here. Don't move past that. And he, and he says, and, and some of y'all, some of y'all are here and you're defiant or careless about your sin. Some of y'all, you know you're living in sin and you're defiant about it and it's costing you life. And the only sin you want to talk about is what other people are doing wrong. Paul says, whoa, whoa. Don't you know what God's trying to do for you and help you with? And our nature is, well, what about, what about those other sins? You know, you bring up immorality and somebody says, what about greed or gluttony? Listen, I'm here to tell you, immorality, greed, and gluttony all are sin that we should repent of. So when we say, what about, yeah, what about that? We should fix that. But hey, every one of us needs salvation and need our sins to be forgiven and removed. Every one of us. Little sin, big sin, immorality, whatever you want to say, all of us need to have that conversation. But if we're living in sin, we're outside of him and we're outside of his best, but the good news is we can be saved. That's Paul's message. But let's never fool ourselves and act as if we live by any other, anything other than God's grace. Church, this is our core belief. This is where we should stay. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all feel it and know it and are guilt-ridden because of it. We try to compensate for it. But God has made a way. And the good news is that Jesus, Jesus can take away our sin. And just think about the craziness of that statement. God came to take away our sin, place it on himself. Do, do, you, do you know now? Now do you know why Paul starts this off with verse 3? that I presented to you what was first of all presented to me, Christ died for our sins. This should never take second place to any other message or any other agenda. We aren't to condemn first. We aren't to present our righteousness first. We are to proclaim that yes, we have a great need, but Jesus came to meet that need. Are there things that we're against? Yeah. 
Are there things that Christians should do? Yeah. But the main thing, the main thing is all of us were dead in our sins. Jesus alone has taken away our sin and made a way for us to be saved. That is our message. So let me ask you this as we close. What if we, and what if in an ideal world, every church, and I can't control other churches, but what if our church, what if the church kept the main thing, the main thing, all the time. Everybody has a void in their heart, whether you realize it or not. Everybody, uh, everybody inside of us, inside of our hearts, we know, we know something isn't right. Everyone has a need in their hearts that something, uh, something that, that cannot be found elsewhere. We need something. What if we let this inform all that we do? What if all that we proclaim and all the stances that we take, what if we as churches, we as a church, were most focused on how can we best communicate this core message? How can we get people to understand that without Jesus, we will never overcome this void, but by him and with him and in him, we can. What if our number one goal as a church was to get people to understand that without Jesus, we'll never overcome the void, but by him and with him and in him, we can. And I've summarized all this in three points that we as a church should adopt and present for everybody's clarity to build our community and to influence our convictions. What is the main thing? What is our main message? In us, there is sin. But in here, as in in this building, in what we do as a church, there is always hope. We are never gonna tell people there isn't hope because yes, in us, there is sin, but in him, there is life. And if we can get you as a part of our community and we can show you that, hey, there is a God who loves you and a Savior who died for you, yes, in you is sin. And hey, we're not gonna lie about that sin. We're not gonna hide the fact that, yes, in us, there is sin. It shows up in all different ways, in all different formats. We all have sin in our heart. And in us, there's a void. But in here, there is hope because in him, there is life. We'll never back away from addressing sin but we're also never gonna tone down the hope that's here for all of us because the gospel says Jesus bore everyone's sin and in him is life for everyone. So how can we say, we, we, how can we say to that sinner, hey, Jesus didn't bear your sin? Yes, he did. And there's life for every sinner. There's life for every single one of us if we will just put our faith in him. And listen, Jesus came into a world full of sinners offered them hope before they ever showed any notion of changing, right? He was confident that the grace, the confident in his grace and making an impact on people as we should be confident in presenting him. And listen, I know this is messy and people say, what about and what about and can't that get complicated? Listen, you know what I know? You know what I know? Jesus can handle sin. Do you know that? Jesus can handle your sin. You know why I know he can handle your sin? Because it killed him once and it buried him, but he left it in the grave and he got out of the grave and so can you. Do you hear that? Jesus can handle your sin because it killed him. It wrung him out and left him a dead husk on a cross. His blood was soaked out on the hill. Sin massacred him and he was buried, but he got out of the grave. But you know what? Your sin and their sin and those sins, all of them are in the grave. But he isn't. 
And you don't have to stay there either. That's the message. That's our message. So we preach Jesus who does not turn away sinners, but offers hope to all and can give life to all. And we're passionate about the transformation he can provide. We must be willing to have enough confidence in Jesus to do his job and not worry for him. He knows what he's doing. He just wants us to trust him. Will there be some, you know, I know some people will say, well, Justin, you're being a little bit too lenient about that. And some people will say, Justin, you're being too harsh. Oh, you're, you're, you know, you're kind of liberal on that, Justin. Or, oh, you're, you're a little bit offensive on that. And, and I hope that it is confusing at times. Because I don't really care about what people think. Because the whole story is heard together. There's no denying that they're, that, that they're uh, in line with the early admission statements is that people presented Jesus as the Savior for sin and the goal was to make sure people knew that in him there's life and he's willing to work it out with you. Think about the statement that Jesus made whenever he called Matthew to join his movement. Matthew the tax collector, Matthew the indulgent sinner. Luke 5.31 says, for those who are with, those, he answers the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, there's two sides of this. He just called Matthew and his friends sick. Was that not offensive? I don't know, probably. But listen, it didn't offend them because they stayed with him. They knew they were sick. And they knew that Jesus loved them anyway. And he was willing to stay with them as long as he needed to to get them some help. You can't say that about the church always, can you? So he offended the sick people, but they weren't. They didn't get upset about it. But then there was the Pharisees that thought, Jesus, you shouldn't be hanging out with these sinners. Don't you see how this could be taken both ways? Oh, did you just call them sick? Yeah, I did. They don't mind. But oh, why are you hanging out with those sinners, Jesus? Aren't, aren't you too good for them? Or shouldn't you be better than that? Do you see what I mean? Some thought, I can't believe he just said that about them. Others thought, I can't believe he's hanging out with them. Listen, some of you don't like being called sick. I get it. Some of you don't like being around other sick people, even though you're sick too, right? But guess what? That's where Jesus is, and that's where I want to be. That's where we need to be. Our message is, did you know that Jesus died for your sin? Your sin. He died for it. He loves you. He loves you so much that he took the worst part of you and put it on his own self, and it killed him. Well, Justin, I've heard a lot of people talk about my sin, like God didn't die for it, and Jesus doesn't love me, and you know, I know he loves you so much that he took that part of you that you know is wrong. And he died for it. Have you believed in that good news? Have you been saved and restored by that good news? Listen, this is where we want to be, right where Jesus is. He's honest about our need, but he's earnest and he's gracious and responding to that need. We will always, listen, we will always be truthful about sin. And we will always be gracious about hope and passionate about him. And each of those inform the others and how we should communicate them. So we're never going to settle for less than God's way. Will some agree with how we do things and what we do? No. Uh, will some say, well, that's a little bit too lenient or that's a little bit too harsh? Maybe. But I want to be where Jesus is and I want to do what Jesus did because that's what started this whole movement. And guess what? That's what got results, right? That's what changed the world.
willing to get in the mess, willing to stay as long as they needed to stay, willing to make sure that Jesus was felt and his power was communicated and people's lives were changed. I think a lot of us, we've forgotten how God changed us and that's why we often forget that God can change others. But also a lot of us, we haven't let God change us like he needs to and like we know that he should and like we know that he can. It's all good news. He came and died for all so that all might come and live through him. That's the simple, that's the reason why we're here. Jesus came and died for all so that all might come and live through him. So you know what? It's my job, it's your job, it's our job to make sure we get this to as many ears as we can so they can see it for themselves. That includes you. So I got a couple invitations to give. Maybe this is good news to you and and maybe it's brand new news to you. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus because you never realized he loved you, he loved the worst part about you, and he died for you, and he saves you because of his death. He changes your life because he gave up his life. You can live because he died and lives for you. You can be forgiven, you can be saved, you can be changed. And he's willing to work with you and stay with you as long as he needs to to get it right. And he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. You can make this your hope today. You can put your faith in Jesus because he says, I love you and I died for your sin. Trust me, follow me, live through me. You'll be free from that sin. Now, maybe you're a Christian who's left this and you need to be reminded of this foundation. And maybe you want to come and rededicate your life around this core belief that Jesus died for your sin and you want to rededicate your life around this faith, around this good news. Maybe you as a church member want to embrace this reminder for God to give you clarity and build our community and make our convictions strong so that we might be closer to the mission the Bible has sent us on. Let us not forget the main thing. Jesus Christ died for our sins and it's by the grace of God we are saved. Can we all agree that's where we start and that's where we stay? And that's what changes the world? That Jesus came to save sinners of whom we are the chief among them. But thanks be to God, he doesn't leave us in the grave. He gives us new and better life. And you can have that life today. Everybody can. And let's make sure the whole world hears that in everything that we do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and and how it communicates this awesome and amazing good news to all of us. Lord, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. Some of us show that in different ways, but we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet you sent Jesus to die for our sin, to give his life for us. Lord, I pray that everybody here knows that their sin, their sin... God loved them and he took it from them and Jesus died for them. He died for everybody. That nobody was cast off. Nobody was told, "I, I, I can't do it for you. But Lord, I pray all of us realize that yes, our sin, our sin keeps us from life. Our sin is keeping us in the grave. Yet by faith in Jesus, we can be freed, we can be saved. Lord, I pray that everybody here today has put their faith in Jesus. And I pray that we as a church would realize what our foundation is and not move from this. That yeah, we have a certain thing that we believe in. Yeah, we have all these other things that we think are important. But the main thing is that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And he came to save us all by his grace. Lord, thank you for this foundation. And may we never leave it because it's the only reason we have hope today in life. In Jesus' name.